Hello, and welcome back to the Room Madness Podcast, the podcast for everyone who is crazy about rheumatology. My name is David Leverance, and I am a rheumatologist specializing in medical education, quality improvement, corny jokes, and sharing my over-exuberant enthusiasm about rheumatology with others. We're so glad you're here. Today is the final installment of our audiobook versions of the Scouting Reports. As in last episode, we will once again be joined by the fantastic Dr. Lisa Crisioni Schreiber, who will be reading through the Scouting Reports for the lupus and ankyovasculitis regions in the tournament. The first Scouting Report she will be reading is the one for belimumab for lupus nephritis, and this came out of Duke where I am and where Dr. Crisioni is. And it was written by the fellows there, including Dr. Aki Udupa, Ryan Anderson, Isaac Smith, Porva Apti, Megan Milne, Catherine Sims, and Lisa Crisioni and myself. So I hope you enjoy these scouting reports. And after you listen to these scouting reports or you read them online, please make sure that you go and you fill out your brackets by March 26th, because the tournament will be starting on March 27th. Thank you. Belimumab for lupus nephritis. Scouting report. Topic overview. Are you ready for a blissful scouting report? Don't look so baffled. You've come to the right place. With the burden of disease unacceptably high and so few tolerable and effective current therapies available for our patients, the urgency to identify novel therapeutic targets to treat systemic lupus erythematosus cannot be overstated. Comprising up to half of this at-risk population is a particularly vulnerable subset of patients with lupus nephritis who, left untreated, are at high risk for progression to end-stage renal disease and death. B-cells are key orchestrators of the abnormal immune response in lupus and lupus nephritis. They facilitate the activation of autoreactive T-cells via self-antigen presentation, promote the release of inflammatory cytokines, and produce harmful autoantibodies. Autoreactive B-cells are, at least in part, enabled by B-lymphocyte stimulator, or BLIS, a cytokine which promotes B-cell proliferation, differentiation, and survival. BLIS is elevated in lupus patients, is locally expressed at the level of the kidney in lupus nephritis, and levels may correlate with disease activity. Bilimumab, a fully human monoclonal IgG1 antibody, neutralizes BLIS and subsequently depletes the autoreactive B-cell pool contributing to the pathogenic autoimmune milieu of lupus. This medication has been FDA-approved for the treatment of serologically and clinically active lupus since 2011, and has recently been awarded the title of the first FDA-approved treatment for lupus nephritis. Approval was based on the results of a two-year Phase three double-blind, randomized, placebo-controlled trial by Fury and colleagues titled BLIS-LN. This study sought to examine the effect of adding intravenous belimumab to standard-of-care lupus nephritis induction and maintenance regimens on renal response in patients with serologically and clinically active lupus plus biopsy-proven active lupus nephritis. Remarkably, the use of belimumab significantly improved the primary efficacy renal response with a significantly greater proportion of patients in the belimumab group achieving reduced proteinuria, stable renal function, and less need for rescue therapy such as steroids. Implications for patients, providers, and researchers. Current implications. Previously, belimumab was primarily shown to work for patients with milder forms of lupus activity, such as skin and joint disease. 
The BLISS-LN study proves that belimumab also works for lupus nephritis when added on to standard induction regimens, and the recent FDA stamp of approval means that this treatment option is available right now. This is a huge win for patients with lupus nephritis. Future implications. While we are excited about a new FDA-approved medication for lupus nephritis, this study also makes us wonder what other lupus manifestations may benefit from belimumab, such as neuropsychiatric. As with all other rheumatologic medications, trials of belimumab with pregnant women have not yet been performed. If this medication were studied and deemed safe in pregnant women, it would be wonderful to have an alternative to azathioprine for lupus nephritis during pregnancy. It will also be interesting to see if initiation of belimumab prior to pregnancy improves maternal and or fetal outcomes, such as pregnancy loss, hypertension, preeclampsia, heart block, etc., as compared to azathioprine and hydroxychloroquine. Another natural next step is to evaluate the effectiveness of this medication in children to see if belimumab may prevent progression of renal disease. Long-term data will need to be evaluated in the future, focusing on outcome measures such as proteinuria, serum creatinine, and new dependence on hemodialysis. This will be important to know for patient expectations, anticipatory guidance, and financial burden of care. Finally, prior studies have suggested a possible increase in depression in patients treated with belimumab, though this was not seen in BLISS-LN. We would like to see additional studies that have a baseline assessment of depression prior to belimumab initiation. Lupus patients have a higher rate of depression than the general public, and the addition of a weekly injection or monthly infusion may increase the burden of care and make depression worse. These confounding variables are important to stratify before determining that belimumab is the cause of depression as opposed to a potential bystander. Will BLISS-LN win its first-round matchup? Belimumab is the clear favorite in the first-round matchup against anafrolumab. Though its competitors are often blissfully ignorant, when it comes to shooting baskets, there is none better than belimumab. Leading experts in the field have been keeping a close eye on the upcoming matchup, and in the words of one prominent lupusologist, what is anafrolumab anyway? Only FDA-approved medications should be allowed to compete. While it is true that anafrolumab isn't even a prescribable medication, supporters of the drug turned to sports history to defend their position. Our inspiration for Tulip 2 came from one of the greatest athletes of all time, Tom Brady. If you're not getting the results you want, deflate the endpoint and you'll be sure to score a win. Reviewers and practitioners of evidence-based medicine alike will need to be vigilant to ensure the goalposts aren't moved again, leading up to the first round matchup. In spite of these concerns, April showers are just around the corner, and belimumab is expected to rain destruction on its competitor. After all is said and done, belimumab will reign supreme. Could BLISS-LN win it all? The BLISS-LN trial is a strong contender to win the tournament. Other trials in this tournament may boast that their interventions significantly limit steroid exposure. BLISS-LN demonstrates that belimumab is both a steroid-sparing agent and an effective disease-modifying agent in controlling a major rheumatic disease. Belimumab does not just have the potential to be steroid-sparing. It is potentially life-sparing. Belimumab decreased renal-related events or death in a well-selected treatment group of lupus nephritis patients. The same cannot be said for trials that had to alter primary endpoints or did not find positive results in the initial study population. BLISS-LN clearly represents a new frontier for the treatment of lupus nephritis. The discerning rheumatologist can easily foresee that belimumab, 
which has already undergone the rigors of FDA approval, will change the management of lupus nephritis. The well-designed, clinically meaningful BLISS-LN trial is responsible for this major innovation. Anifrolumab Scouting Report, written by Sarah Compton, Sam Minkin, Whitney Elk-Salzman, Anna Tucker, and Jen Schmidt from the MUSC Rheumatology Fellowship. Topic Overview Type 1 interferons are cytokines that link innate and adaptive immunity and are implicated in the pathogenesis of systemic lupus erythematosus with increased interferon-stimulated gene expression seen in most patients with lupus. Anifrolumab is a fully human IgG1-kappa monoclonal antibody to type 1 interferon receptor subunit 1 and inhibits signaling by all type 1 interferons, which results in enhanced blockage of the type 1 interferon pathway. Anifrolumab has undergone two phase three trials, TULIP-1 and TULIP-2. TULIP-1 was a double-blind, randomized, controlled phase three trial performed internationally in multiple centers. The trial was designed to assess the efficacy and safety of IV anifrolumab versus placebo in adults with lupus who are receiving standard-of-care treatment. Patients were randomly assigned to high or low-dose anifrolumab or placebo. Patients were also randomized according to their interferon gene signature. Patients had to have moderate to severe lupus and be on stable doses of medication. Patients with lupus nephritis and neuropsychiatric manifestations were excluded. The primary endpoint of SLE Responder Index 4, or SRI4, was not reached. Secondary endpoints were not formally statistically assessed, but there were improvements in oral corticosteroid dose, Cutaneous Lupus Erythematosus Disease Area and Severity Index, or CLASI, responses, and the British Isles Lupus Assessment Group-based Composite Lupus Assessment, or BICLA, responses. TULIP-2 used only high-dose anifrolumab against placebo, which did meet its primary endpoint of the BICLA response after changing from the SRI-4. SRI-4 was enticing given its promise shown in the Phase 2 MUSE trial, as well as its use in the Blimumab Phase 3 trial. Adverse effects were shown in a high proportion in both groups, but a higher incidence of herpes zoster was shown in the anifrolumab group. Implications for patients, providers, and researchers. Current implications. Limited application at this time pending additional studies, but in patients with active cutaneous manifestations of lupus who have failed or have contraindications or intolerance to multiple therapies and remain on glucocorticoids could consider for off-label use. Future implications. We hope for this team FDA approval of anifrolumab in the coming future. We also envision this medication will be used for those patients that are steroid-dependent and those with cutaneous manifestations. We would like to see anifrolumab be put up against lupus nephritis and neuropsychiatric manifestations to help us better understand how it will work in our patients with these manifestations. Those patients that are unable to have control of their disease despite standard medications will benefit from this medication. Will anifrolumab win its first-round matchup? This team is definitely the underdog against FDA-approved bulimumab. Breaking way is the first FDA-approved drug for lupus in 60 years. Some may say bulimumab is already the champion. This team has promise, though, as it, too, was able to meet its primary endpoint in BICLA response after some trial and error. This team was also able to improve oral corticosteroid dose in skin manifestations. 
Could Anafrolumab win it all? Chances are somewhat slim for Anafrolumab to win it all in the tournament, but Anafrolumab did make a comeback in the TULIP2 trial using the secondary endpoint, Bicler response, from the first trial by proving significance. The primary endpoint was changed prior to unblinding the study to Bicler response from SRI4, which some may say is sneaky or others genius. Who knows? Anafrolumab may have the fairy tale ending it deserves. With the demonstration of inhibition of interferon type 1 in those with a high interferon signature, its unique mechanism of action, steroid sparing effects, and improvement in cutaneous manifestations of lupus make this distinctive player one to watch in the armamentarium to create the cruel mystery that is lupus. Pexivas Scouting Report, written by the Medical College of Wisconsin Rheumatology Fellows. Topic Overview. Vasculitides are a group of diverse diseases that cause inflammation in the vasculature, with protean manifestations of potentially serious, life-threatening complications. Often categorized by size of the affected vasculature, small vessel vasculitides can be further characterized by those associated with positive ankyserologies, such as GPA and MPA, two very important diseases in the world of rheumatology that have unique clinical, laboratory, and histopathologic findings. Early recognition is key to preventing morbidity and mortality, and induction therapy consists of high-dose steroids and immunosuppressive therapy. However, sometimes the sequela is so dire that this is not enough, especially with respect to pulmonary hemorrhage and renal failure. In the face of complicated and high-risk clinical situations, we as clinicians do everything to preserve a patient's life and limit morbidity. Yet by doing this, can we potentially be causing more harm? And is the approach less is more actually better? For the first time, the PEXAVAS landmark study addressed this very question, as studies before had never assessed if plasma exchange could improve survival and reduce severe complications. Through a large, greater than 700 patient, multi-center, randomized, two-by-two trial conducted over 16 countries, this study set out to answer two main questions in cohorts of patients with severe ANCA-associated vasculitis. Number one, does plasma exchange reduce all-cause death and progression to end-stage renal disease? Number two, are reduced-dose steroids non-inferior to standard-dose steroids? The patients were randomized one-to-one-to-one-to-one to receive plasma exchange with standard-dose steroids, plasma exchange with reduced-dose steroids, no plasma exchange with standard-dose steroids, or no plasma exchanged with reduced-dose steroids. All patients received induction treatment with IV cyclophosphamide, PO cyclophosphamide, or IV rituximab, followed by maintenance treatment with azathioprine. The results did not demonstrate that plasma exchange reduced the incidence of death from any cause or end-stage renal disease in severe ANCA-associated vasculitis. Additionally, reduced-dose steroids were found to be non-inferior to standard-dose steroids. Implications for patients, providers, and researchers. Current implications. We as rheumatologists are always seeking management options that are both effective and safe, and yet sometimes the crux of the matter is that a lot of our therapeutic options have significant side effects and potential toxicities. We think that this trial is important as it addresses main safety sectors including death and adverse events. 
The results of the study demonstrated that there was no reduced incidence of death or ESRD in patients receiving plasma exchange compared to those who did not. Furthermore, low-dose steroids yielded non-inferior results to standard doses, and most importantly, they demonstrated overall reduced risk of serious infections. We can rapidly and cumulatively, almost by 60%, taper steroids in our patients without losing efficacy while also reducing the risk of infections. A common theme at the ACR conference this year was reduction of steroids, and this study further corroborated this idea that we can actively act upon to decrease infectious burden. The very cornerstone of rheumatologic interventions is steroids, and so we think this result is indeed a game changer. Future implications. One could argue that a limitation of the study was in the patient cohort itself, as while the study was aimed to assess the sickest in vasculitis, in truth, the patient panel was not entirely representative of the most severe forms of diffuse alveolar hemorrhage or acute renal failure. More severe ankyvasculitis patients were underrepresented in this trial. Thus, future studies can assess further and incorporate the more ideal patient group to expound on the results. Additionally, azathioprine was used as maintenance treatment in this study instead of rituximab. We know from the main Ritzan trial that using rituximab for maintenance treatment in ankyvasculitis prevented relapses more so than with azathioprine. Therefore, it is possible that the results of Pexivas may have been different if rituximab was used for maintenance therapy. Will it win the first round? The PEXAVAS trial was strongly designed via the 2x2 factorial design, which enabled four different groups to be analyzed. The study was also large, conducted over a long duration, and spanned across multiple countries, which makes the results more universal and applicable. While the ADVOCATE study is indeed interesting and important as a new drug to help sustain remission in vasculitis, we just do not think that the trial is as impressive as PEXAVAS. We now know that plasmapheresis does not alter morbidity and mortality, while also gaining insight that we can use a lower cumulative dose of steroids with equal efficacy and mitigation of serious infections. Though the advocate trial shows promise for avacapan in the remission in ankyvasculitis, this may not be readily available for use. Will Pexavas win it all? While we do find overall strengths in this trial, we would still like to comment on some of its weaknesses. For one, it was an open-label study, and the choice of induction therapy was made prior to randomization. In theory, this could have created biases in treatment, favoring cyclophosphamide over rituximab for induction if plasma exchange was given or not. The largest issue with this study, as iterated above, was that patients with severe vasculitis were hardly represented at less than 10%, and thus this study cannot be easily applied to patients with life-threatening clinical manifestations. While there are weaknesses overall, we feel that its strengths outweigh them. The overall winner in the competition is challenging, as this assertion is sort of comparing apples to oranges, as all the clinical investigations in this competition are so monumental. However, we do feel that on the strength of our arguments, the PEXAVAS team can match and perhaps even surpass any scouting report in this competition. We anticipate a stiff competition for more fashionable diseases in rheumatology, such as the investigations looking at gout, lupus nephritis, and the harmful effects of short-term steroids. In the end, the PEXAVAS team will always contend that prevention of harm to the patient is worth more than any new discoveries other trials may or may not show. 
Through the very nature of steroids being the cornerstone of rheumatologic interventions, we do believe this study has huge implications, both in the realm of vasculitis and likely through extension to other systemic inflammatory conditions. If we can control disease through less steroid exposure and mitigate cumulative risk and toxicity, this can have an extensive ripple effect in potentially reducing infections, osteoporosis, avascular necrosis, and more steroid sequela as we begin to study it across other rheumatologic conditions. Let the best team win. A Vacopan Scouting Report, written by Caitlin Lima, Michael Lopker, Yoon Q, Julia Sun, from Northwestern University Fellowship. Topic Overview. The ANCA-associated vasculitides are life-threatening autoimmune diseases with significant morbidity and mortality from both organ damage and treatment-related toxicity. The alternative complement pathway has been implicated in the pathogenesis of ANCA-associated vasculitis, which culminates in production of C5A. Avacopan is an oral small molecule C5A receptor antagonist that selectively blocks the effect of C5A, including blocking neutrophil chemoattraction and activation. Avacopan protects against development of glomerulonephritis after exposure to anti-myeloperoxidase antibodies in mouse models, and phase two trials in humans showed safety compared to standard of care. The ADVOCATE trial was a phase three randomized controlled trial of 331 MPO or PR3 positive patients with new or relapsing disease in which patients received either avacopan 30 milligrams twice a day, N equals 166, or corticosteroids, N equals 165, on a tapering schedule in addition to rituximab or cyclophosphamide at the investigator's discretion. Avacopan was found to be non-inferior to prednisone for remission at week 26, defined as Birmingham Vasculitis Activity Score, or BVAS, equals zero, and no corticosteroid use in the previous four weeks. 72.3% in avacopan group versus 70.1% in prednisone group. Avacopan had superior sustained remission at week 52, with 65.7% versus 54.9%. There was a trend towards higher EGFR and decreased albuminuria in the avacopan group, which mirrors other studies in mice and humans. Serious adverse events were similar in the two groups. Implications for patients, providers, and researchers. Current implications. The advocate trial has made the previously unthinkable possible inducing disease remission in ankyvasculitis without glucocorticoids. With the use of avacopan in ankyvasculitis, patients with new or relapsing active disease, the amount of glucocorticoid use was significantly reduced with superior results at week 52. This resulted in fewer glucocorticoid-related side effects as demonstrated by significantly lower glucocorticoid toxicity index, while not compromising ability to achieve remission. Future implications. The success of the advocate trial opens the door to the evaluation of other complement-directed treatments for ankyvasculitis. A monoclonal antibody, IFX1, to C5A is in stage two clinical trials, and there are case reports suggesting efficacy using eculizumab in refractory ankyvasculitis. Will Avacopan win its first-round matchup? 
In what is best represented as a number two advocate versus number 15 Pexivas matchup, Pexivas is the clear underdog. This negative trial won't have nearly the impact of advocate as knowing when not to use plasma exchange in a small subset of ANCA-associated vasculitis will clearly impact fewer patients. It did have an important secondary finding that reduced-dose steroid regimens are non-inferior to standard regimens. While a reduced-dose regimen is a substantial step forward in reducing morbidity, a complete steroid-sparing regimen is a giant leap. Pexivas is also not unique in this finding. Could a vacapan win it all? A vacapan has a blood-blood chance at making it to the final showdown. Rheumatologists have been craving steroid-free treatment options for our most challenging diseases, and this trial does not disappoint. If Advocate can overcome the group of death second-round matchup against SLE therapeutics, its path to the championship game is almost assured. A vacapan compared to prednisone was superior for sustained remission at week 52, had lower glucocorticoid toxicity and a trend higher EGFR and decreased albuminuria with similar adverse events. While questions remain including durability and the use of a vacapan for minor relapses, the prospect of almost completely eliminating steroids from the treatment regimen of this life-threatening condition represents a likely paradigm shift for the field of rheumatology. Okay, well, there you have it. I am so thankful for all the fellows who put those scouting reports together. These were, again, just fantastic. I can personally say working on the Duke one was a lot of fun, um, but I think the fellows who worked on the others had a lot of fun as well based on some emails that they sent. Um, But I know that I learned a lot from reading them, and I hope the rheumatology community also learns from them. So... If you have enjoyed listening to these podcast forums of the scouting reports, hopefully it's been helpful to you. Um, We are just so excited for the tournament to begin. Please go ahead and fill out your brackets and tell your friends about Room Madness so that they have an opportunity to learn about these teams and learn rheumatology and engage with the Room Madness community. Again, the brackets are open for submission through March 26th, and then the tournament will start on March 27th. So don't miss your chance. Thank you.